0: Today's episode of the podcast is sponsored by Dr. Carlo Bairaktarion.
1: Hello and welcome to the podcast. This is Dernarik, the pastor of St. Sarkis Church, along with our co-host, Mr. Veh Bezdigian, who is also a member of the Executive Council of the Armenian Prelacy. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Let us start our show with a prayer of Saint Nerses the Gracious. I must tune hor Jesus.
2: dur ints imasttun as Paris Khorhel yev khosel yev khorzel arachikoh amen ajam. I char khor totz ipanits yev ikhorzots por yev vogormia ko araradzots yev ints pasmameris. Jesus, wisdom of the Father, grant me wisdom that I may at all times think, speak, and do before you that which is good in your sight. And save me from evil thoughts, words, and deeds. Have mercy upon your creatures and upon me, great sinner that I am.
3: I don't know how I got here
1: We are celebrating one of the most important holidays in the life of our church, the Feast of the Holy Translators this Saturday. You did mention that there, Narek, before we got
2: started today. I'm I'm curious to hear about the significance of
1: the Feast of the Holy Translators. It's something that I like very much because it reminds me of my days when I was a seminarian. And on this day, we would start our um our classes basically so it it would mark the beginning of another academic year for us and we would pledge allegiance to the spirit of the translators but apart from that it is a feast for every armenian to celebrate because if it wasn't for the translators we would not be armenians today we would not have the strong culture and all the treasures that we have because of the holy translators and the Takuhi Takmanutians, the Takui Takmanutians, the, the translation, holy Bible, the
2: translation of the Armenian of the Bible of the Holy Bible into Armenian. That's right. Can I ask, other than Surp Sahag and Surp Mesrob, are, does anybody else qualify as a holy translator in that? Uh, as as we celebrate this holiday,
1: sure. All the translators, uh, I mean, all the students of Saint Mesrob are part of the translators. And for some reason our church fathers have extended or they made that the translator um into something larger to include even saints from the 11th and the 12th centuries so hmm. all the saints who made contributions into enriching our cultural heritage are considered to be part of the translators for example saint uh, nersa Schnorhal whose prayer we we said just in the beginning He is a saint from the Selection period. He is part of the translators because of all the contributions that he made. So the translator or everyone who became part of that movement who made the Armenian Church the way
2: that it is today. So how does the Armenian Church in a contemporary sense celebrate the Feast of the Holy Translators? How do we mark it on the calendar? Well,
1: it is... October for us it's a cultural month. So we are supposed to do cultural events. We are supposed to remind ourselves about the importance of, of this feast. And I know um, this Saturday, when our children come to Saturday school, all of us will be speaking about the importance of this feast, uh, the fact that our alphabet is a gift that has been given to us by God, and we would want to encourage them to stay faithful and always cherish that gift that God has given to us. So I'd like to share a story, if you don't mind. This year, um, as you know, um, we went to Armenia, and uh, one of the things that I did and I enjoyed very much was visiting the tomb of St. Mesrop Mashtots in Oshagan. You know, and uh, it, it, it seems to be like a parish church, and when you go there, in the basement of that church, is the tomb of uh, Mesrop Mashtots and you know when you get there in the, in this in that moment of silence you realize that you are on a sacred ground that's the closest that you can get to the 5th century to mm-hmm. St Mesrop Mashtots to his legacy and then the other experience that i had was when i visited Madanataran. Mm-hmm. You know, in front of but well, he's actually there, right in front, right? Yes, his Mashtod's statue is holding is right the alphabet. There holding, the alphabet is actually is behind, is him. behind him, right? And there's a symbolism there. So there's one of the students kneeling in front of him, mm-hmm. and he has his finger pointing at Mr. Mashtots, and Mesrop Mashtots has his finger pointing to the alphabet. <laughs> the symbolism in this uh, statue is that the student is telling I want to be great like you mm-hmm. and Mr. Mashtots is answering and saying if you want to be great like me you then gotta you got know behind me you need to learn and cherish the alphabet and our Armenian language and heritage so but it was such a emotional moment for me when 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 I was there and to see that another story which I want to share about uh, about my visit to Armenia so I I am thoroughly enjoying the fact that for the past three
2: podcasts, we've been reflecting upon your trip to Armenia. And, There's a lot And the it. impact that it's left <laughs> sure. on you. So, it's, sure. uh, this is uh, enjoyable. It's a good thing, right?
1: Yeah. I think we've been talking about this uh, the other day with Serpazan. It was uh, you and I and a bunch of other friends. Mm-hmm. So, um, we visited a school in Armenia. It is called AIP. So, this is not a typical school. They are trying to do something different. They are trying to, in this school, to bring forth a generation. Who would bring change in Armenia? This is their mission. So um, it's a pretty large property. I visited that place with my uh, brother-in-law, John, along with our families, and they showed us around. They showed us all the projects that they're doing. And it, it is something that is expanding and they have a project of building a chapel in, in that place mm-hmm. that will belong to, to to the school. And the design of that chapel, or the name of that chapel, will be called Holy Translators. And I asked him, why do you want to call it Holy Translators? Ah, I recall. And the principal of that school, when he showed that I'm interested, he said, let me show you the designs. So the church design is in the model of open books, and they have in their mind... the the writings of the Holy Translators. I believe it is 16 books that are coming next to each other. Some of the books are big, like Moses Khorinatsi, whose writing is pretty large. And, for example, Yeznik Kochbatsi, Yerz Arantotsi, his book is a smaller one. So they put all these books together in a round shape to create a church. And I asked him, why Holy Translators? And the principal of the school said, because the holy translators gave us a credit, in other mm-hmm. words, gave us a capital and we've been spending off that uh, capital for so many years and that is not running out. And we are trying to put something to add something into what they have given to us. What was the specific in Armenian you, you would talk when you talk about have the little bit of it comes from the Bible, the penny of, uh, of the widow of so, of of that was another inspiring moment for me to see that we have people in Armenia who are very much attached to their roots and they appreciate what uh, the holy translators did for us. When I reflect on, on the Feast of the Translators, one of the things that is very important for us is to understand that at the time when Mesrop Mashtots was commissioned to create the alphabet, Armenia was divided east and west. So one part was under the Greek rule. The other was under the Persian rule. And the different people of different parts of Armenia were sympathizing with their different occupiers. And our leadership saw a great danger. And they knew there's got to be something to unify us. And the alphabet came with the creation of the Armenian culture to be that unifying element So our language, our heritage, and the alphabet can still play that role in our lives today. We speak about Arev Arev Madai. And it's funny, I was having this conversation with my daughter today. We took a little walk, and she said, Dad, this reminds me of the walks that we used to take in Yerevan. Can we go back to Yerevan again? I said, we'll go. One day we'll go. And she goes like... It's sad that I was not able to understand all the things that were that they were saying over there. I said, the more you speak Armenian, the more you will understand the things that they're saying. And she was like, but their Armenian is different. I said, no, no. The more you speak any Armenian, the more you will get used to speaking and understanding Armenian. You know, if we put the uh, idioms on, on the side, Armenian is Armenian, and mm-hmm. it's it's a great thing that when you go. Home. It's your language. At its
2: core, I feel like it's a human nature to be so focused on the differences rather than looking at the similarities in the language. The root, there, there the, is the core of the language is the same. But we constantly focus on, you know, the, the, the differences in the in the the pronunciation and the way that we form the sentences. Um, but ultimately, it's the same language. It is. And I enjoy actually when I speak to my children. Sometimes I try to mix it up. When i talk to them when i tell them instead of saying what do they say i say Adiyastek. and they look at me i'm like you've heard that before you've heard the other moms speaking that way with the kids i want them to be exposed to both dialects and have that the opportunity to learn it and, and feel comfortable speaking out of Ilayaren and out of
1: Madayaren. so i would like to answer your question you know how do we celebrate this feast i think this is not a feast that the church uh, celebrate alone this is a feast that every armenian must celebrate by speaking armenian and promoting our language and our culture
3: there were days when i was just broken you know there were nights when i was doubting my say yeah but you kept my heart from falling
2: for the prelacy here on the East Coast of the United States. We have the honor of having Vehapar Aram I, His Holiness, visiting from Antilias. And we have a series of events planned for the weekend. I know our community is enthusiastically awaiting his arrival. And uh, why don't you tell us what we have in store?
1: Sure, Vehapar right now is in California, where a series of celebrations are taking place. After that, Vapar will go to Canada and he will be arriving to Newark, New Jersey, on Saturday evening where the clergy and the councils will go to meet him. And then the following day, on Sunday, Vapar will be celebrating the Divine Liturgy at St. Vartanant's Armenian Apostolic Church of New Jersey. Following the Badarak, there will be a banquet to celebrate his 20th anniversary. Deadhide, it's always an honor to have His Holiness here in the
2: United States. Um, Is there a specific reason for his visit? I understand it's the anniversary, 20th anniversary of his
1: consecration? It is is his consecration. Actually, he was consecrated 21 years ago. It was in 1995 when uh, he became our Vahabar. And um, I remember that vividly. I was a seminarian, and it was... Such a challenging times for us to see Karekim Ve'apar going to Hayastan. And then uh, almost 40 days after that, all the delegations coming to Antelias, it was the first time for me to see so many people from around the world coming. And then just trying to see who's going to be our new katorigos. We're trying to get into the church from the back doors. Uh, and mind you that the... um election or the meetings were taking place in the cathedral itself and Mm -hmm. all doors were closed there was no access for us so we had to wait and eventually uh, we heard the bells uh ringing and we we, is there uh, any smoke that comes out no, like the, smoke. no we don't smoke. have a smoke we don't <laughs> like unlike at the, the vatican <laughs> <laughs> unlike the vatican we don't have smoke so i don't, but it was uh, elected as our catholicos so that was in 1995. that must so, have been pretty i i could imagine that as a young man you were probably very impressionable time for you to be it able was, to experience something that. that i would never so ever exciting. forget sure so the 20th anniversary was supposed to take place last year but because last year we were commemorating the 100th anniversary of the genocide. Uh, I hear that Aram Vapar did not want this celebration to take place. And uh, upon the invitation of all three prelates of uh, East Coast, West Coast, and Canada, he is here with us to celebrate the 20th anniversary. And his message has been very consistent. It's all about service, providing service, spiritual service to our people, wherever they are and from what i'm hearing um it was very inspiring for me to watch some of the um footage from uh, california and uh, how he reflects on his 20 years of service along with the major events that took place in armenia and he links that you know he strived to make sure that our spurk our diaspora is stronger our Hyranik, our homeland stronger so for those who would come um, to the banquet, especially, um, I know there's a great program that is being prepared. Anushavan Serpazan is the keynote speaker. He will deliver a great message about Aram Veapar and whole, all his achievements in the past 20, 21 years. So it's an op- opportunity for us to know a little bit more about Veapar and a little bit more about the Armenian Catholic Osset of Cilicia.
2: So why don't we hit on the details? At 10 a.m., we have the Pontifical Divine Liturgy, or the Shapar at St. Vartanant's Armenian Apostolic Church. That's at 461 Bergen Boulevard, Ridgefield, New Jersey. I know our parish, as well as the entire greater New York and New Jersey Armenian community knows St. Vartanant's very well. And it'll be followed by, at 1.30 p.m., there will be a cocktail reception at the Marriott at Glen Point which is in Teaneck, New Jersey, followed by a very expansive program, as Dernodig mentioned. For our parish here in New York at St. Sarkis, uh, there will be a bus. There's bus service being made available, so we ask you to contact the church office to make your reservation. Up next on the podcast, we have the privilege of having with us an old friend of mine since childhood, Mr. Dikran Krikorian, who is the proprietor of a fitness app that's called Motion Tracks. And I know Der takes full advantage of this when he goes on his workouts at the gym and goes on his lengthy runs in the neighborhood. So stay tuned for our friend Dikran Krikorian, founder of Motion Tracks.
1: My guest today is someone who makes me sweat literally twice or three times every week. His name is Dikran Krikorian. He is a member of our community here, and he is the founder of Motion Tracks. Dikran, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Father Anade, great
0: to be here. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Why don't you tell our listeners what is Motion Tracks? Sure, so Motion Tracks is a fitness app that helps people stay motivated during their workouts. So it's an app that will stream audio that the, the exerciser will listen to while they're doing an individual exercise, and they will hear in the stream a coach telling um, the listener what to do, taking them through a specific workout, and there's also music that's synced to the workout. So in a sense, we say it's like having a fitness class in your earbuds. How did you come up with the idea? Tell us about the process. How did this
1: big project started.
0: Yeah, so Motion Tracks was really an evolution. It took uh, a number of years and a number of stages to get to where it is now. Um, so in its current form, like I said, it's a fitness app. But initially, the, the concept started many years ago when I, um, I had an inspiration to, to combine two things I'm very passionate about. One is, is fitness. And the other one is is music, and those are two areas that I really enjoyed being a part of. Um, I had started a record label with my brother, Ara, back in 2001, really to help his career as a DJ and a producer. And I got closer to music through that experience, and one thing that started happening was I would listen to his music. It was really high-energy techno music, and it would give me motivation in the gym. And uh, the idea just occurred to me that, you know, I wonder if I can take all this great music I have access to from my brother and through the record label and bring it to more people for their own workouts. Because I knew a lot of people in the gym didn't have access to what I had access to. So the first thing I did was I started interviewing the group fitness instructors who lead classes like kickboxing and spinning and Zumba, things like this. And I would ask them, you know, what was that music you used? Because I have access to a lot of great music and I'm thinking of bringing it to the fitness industry. And they were all very welcoming. They said, yeah, that would be wonderful. We all were always in need of more great music. So, you know, do your thing. It would be great. And so that's that was my first step. I started making music for these classes and we would go to trade shows and exhibit and sell these, you know, specially designed CDs for the different classes. Now, whose music was that? Um, It was mostly music that we licensed. So we, we would go out to record labels or we would go out to artists that we knew from our initial record label and get the rights to use the music. And then we would design it in a special way that worked for the different classes. So different classes had different intensities or they had a different flow to them. And so you really had to almost like design the soundtrack to match what the instructor wanted to do in the class. And, and by gaining that knowledge of applying music to, to fitness, I was able to branch out and do other things too. And one of my desires was to not just work with the uh, fitness instructors for their classes, but to also motivate individuals. And so I launched uh, Motion Tracks as a podcast back in 2009, 2010 timeframe. And the, the idea at that point was really fast tempo music for people to run to. Uh, when, when somebody's running, let's say they're out for, you know, an average run, whether they run a nine minute mile, a 10 minute mile, what have you their their steps per minute are usually at around 150, 160 per, per minute. And traditional music that you hear on the radio is only around 120, 130. So there was a big mismatch there. And so we, uh, designed the music to be fast enough for people to, to set their cadence when they were running. And it really took off. I mean, Apple featured the podcast when it first came out, um, we had a big write-up in Fitness Magazine that drove over 30,000 users in our first month. And so it really started taking off. And we got to the point where we had a, a million uh, streams of our podcast in about a year. And at that point, my my thought was to monetize the podcast for advertising. And that was really hard uh, because you're competing with a lot of major media companies for the advertising dollars. So, you know, I'd be going into meetings and, and the planners would be considering my unknown motion tracks podcast alongside you know men's health magazine and shape magazine and runner's world and all these established properties um so it was difficult but we did have success after about a a year or year and a half of really knocking on doors and trying and and pitching the 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 podcast we were able to uh land two big clients one was cliff bar who is very plugged into the running community they make the energy bars for people to eat when they're you know hiking or running and then the other one was Gatorade, which is you know a household name. So those two sponsorships really carried us, um, and it helped us kind of get to the next level. And we so were- the
1: first level was monetizing the podcast that you've been working on for now two years. At that point,
0: yeah. So after about a year of launch, after about a year after launching the podcast, we started pitching advertisers, and then and then we spent about the next two or three years of the podcast's phase. Uh, in fulfilling those contracts. And and a funny thing happened because we we were focusing on the running segment, but we wanted to also help other people. Um, and so what we did is we invited a, an instructor we knew, a fitness instructor who was very good at spinning. And he did a podcast with, with music and his voice and, and it was structured as a spinning class. And so we just thought, hey, you know, we'll release it just for variety in our podcast. It's not just for running, but we'll have like some other stuff too but the feedback was phenomenal like as soon as we put up the spinning podcast we were just getting email after email oh my god it was so great like i was almost able to do a spin class by myself just using your, your podcast please do more 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 and we said whoa we weren't expecting to do so so much more and go this different direction but we said if people are willing to pay for this new sort of like angle or this new variety of having the coach and being able to do more of a class then we'll do more so we put up a couple of um, albums on itunes with the coach and the music and, you know, I would have been happy if the first ones sold like 100 in the first couple of months. It ended up sending 1,000. And yeah, and we said, wow, we have something here. So we started inviting more coaches and started doing more sort of coached workouts, one for treadmill, for the elliptical machine, for, um, you know, different types of workouts. And because that album concept of the coach and the music was doing so well, we said, hey, let's now take that content and make it easier for people to access by rolling it up into an app. And and that kind of takes us to the current day. So that was sort of the evolution of, of, you know, starting as a podcast and kind of adding the coaches and then finally making it an app so that people can access it more easily.
1: So you spoke about um, two passions that you had, fitness and music, but obviously there's also the business element. So you were able to combine all three into producing this great app.
0: Do you agree? Yeah, yeah. It really took um, combining great content um, and being very entrepreneurial, like through the process, you know, not everything we did worked. Um, not every advertiser we pitched agreed to to give us money. In fact, there was a lot of no's before we got the yeses. So, you know, had to be persistent, had to be really passionate, had to be really committed to get it to where it is today. So, why don't you tell our listeners what's in the app when they subscribe to
1: Motion Tracks? What are they gonna get?
0: yeah so the app model we've built is pretty simple uh The app is free to download, and anybody who registered with their email address gets to try out the app five times for free um just to see if they like it and really that that's what gives people the experience so we didn't want to limit people by having them pay first, we wanted to give them the experience of what motion tracks really is right up front for free and you know with with digital businesses, you can do that you know there was there's no there's no real cost to us. If for example, you were to download the app and try it three, four, five times, there's really no cost to us. So we're happy to have as many people as possible do that with the idea that not everybody's gonna convert into a paying customer we know that. And so these types of models in the digital, in the internet world are called freemium. And so you have a free aspect, but then there's also a premium aspect. So once the user uses the app five times, uh, the app will stop working at that point unless they subscribe. And if they do subscribe, then they get to use all of our workouts. We have about a hundred coached workouts. Um, what are the are th- categories? Yeah, they're designed for the main the main equipment you would find in, in a typical gym. So there's the treadmill category. There's the elliptical machine. There's um, you know the spin bike slash exercise bike, and then we have another uh, another uh, another different category category called other and in that one they'll find things like the rowing machine the stair master the, the step mills their master and then there's some um like body weight type exercises. there's like boxing there's um uh like a medicine ball type workout there's a few others that we developed in partnership with shape magazine so they would tell us like hey this is a workout we're producing we're featuring in our magazine this month and we'd create the audio version of that
1: it's awesome i mean I've been using uh, motion tracks, and <laughs> I just love how how it works. It tells you when to slow down, when to do intense workouts, and you know, at the end of your 40 minutes, you're proud of yourself, of uh, of the numbers, the number of the calories that you burned, the miles that you walked. It's a great thing, and uh, I had no idea about this uh, this app, and uh, our friend Simon Bardisbanian told me about it and I started using it I'm so happy that, you know, one of our community members came
0: up with something great like this. It makes me especially happy when, you know, friends, family, community members benefit from from the work I do because really, you know, Motion Tracks is benefiting thousands of people out there. The app is actually going to reach $100,000 by the end of this week. Um, And we get really great testimonials from people just talking about how it's motivated them. It's helped them work out harder than they ever would on their own. It's helped them lose weight and burn calories and just feel better about themselves. So, you know, I love being able to help people that way, but especially people that are close to me. So, you know, to your point, why don't I play a quick sample so that the, the listeners of your podcast can get a sense of what it sounds like. treadmill express workout three led by amy dixon 20 minutes
4: hi this is amy dixon certified master trainer welcome to workout three so we're already in the warm-up right here. I'd love you to bring your incline to 1%. If you're a walker, find a speed between 3.5 and, and 5 miles per hour that feels easy to moderate. Runners, anywhere between 5 and 8 miles per so, hour. Yeah, we've
0: been very lucky to partner with really some of the best trainers in the country. Because As I mentioned, I was making music for their classes many years ago, and through those relationships, I was able to pull some really good folks to be our trainers and so it's really it's really this i'll skip forward a little bit so people get a sense see it gets a little more intense the music picks up she tells you how long to go and then the app itself it also has some visual guides it'll tell you what intensity you should be at at each phase and things like that i love that visual aspect of it also
1: and you know what i like the best is at the end of the workout that personal email that you send, uh-huh. <laughs> and I remember after the fourth um, workout, you, you send an email with different languages, and Armenian was part of that, and that's a great thing, you know? It makes made me feel very proud. <laughs> so uh, Dikran, uh, the, the fitness industry seems to be something that everyone is interested in, and um, you know, a lot of us, including myself, I am out of shape. What is your advice for us, for those who are struggling um, to maintain a healthier um, lifestyle and uh, have a better shape?
0: Mm. Yeah, that's obviously a challenge that a lot of people deal with. Um, I, I guess I can just talk from my own experience, and I know that. Different people have different circumstances. You know, some people have very very long hours. Some people have children they have to tend to. Some people don't have access to equipment or a gym so easily. But again, I mean, I guess my point of view is, you know, just giving my friends some advice about this this week is, you know, consistency is super important. And I think once you get into a, a, a momentum, once you get into a groove, once you become consistent, it becomes a lot easier to stay consistent. I think when you're not consistent, you know, when, you've been taking a, when you've been off for a while, it just, it's hard to kind of rev up, rev up the engine again, so to speak. That's the hardest part. It's really climbing up that hill. But once you get to the point where it becomes your routine, your weekly routine, it gets easier. And what, one thing I've always done, you know, I've had demanding jobs. I've had, you know, crazy life schedules. But I've always created what I call an anchored day where that's my day to exercise. Tuesday nights, I'm always at the gym. And no matter what comes up in life, I will schedule around that night. And then and then I have a little more flexibility. Then, you know, then I'll do like a Thursday or Friday or a weekend. Weekends is more flexibility, I think, for most people. But if you can at least get, you know, like two quality workouts in a week, that'll just keep your body in, in, a, in a stronger state. You know, you you break a sweat, you get your endorphins running, you clean out some toxins, you increase your heart rate. It's all very, very beneficial. And and, and the other thing, too, some people have bigger goals. You know, they want to lose 30 pounds or what have you. And for that, you need consistency and you also need um, a really inspiring goal. You know, you can't just do it because, oh, God, my doctor said I have to do it or my, you know, my spouse is guilting me into doing it. You've you got to really want it. Now, you've got to want it whether it's because con- you're going to look a certain way then that, that excites you or you're going to feel a lot better or you're going to be able to just be more functional. You know, sometimes I'm, you know, I'm in the subway and, I, and I'm running after trains and I, I, I'm able to catch trains just because, you know, I do my squats and I, I do my legwork and a lot of people miss those trains, but I catch them, you know, and it may sound like a little <laughs> funny, but, you know, that's, those are, these are different functional ways that being fit helps us get through life, you know, sometimes it's just, you know, lifting up something heavy out of the closet or what have you. Sure. <laughs> so, that those are really my thoughts. and we're very proud of you,
1: um, but before I let you go, I want to ask you um, this question. It seems like it was an evolution for you. It was um, a lot of work, a lot of dedication for you to get to where you are today. What is your advice um, to any member of our parish, anyone who is listening, a person who is trying to achieve something, um, something big like the one that you have achieved? What would you advise them?
0: You know, I um, I think really follow your heart is what I say. Really listen to what's calling you. Um, really listen to what you're passionate about. If there's a difference that you feel you can make, make it. Um, I, would, I would say I hesitated. You know, I took a long time to, to start following my dreams and my passions. I was already in my mid-30s when I started. And in hindsight, I do wish I had started sooner. And, you know, the things that stop us from starting sooner are fear and circumstance. You know, we'll say, oh, it's not the right time. You know, back back in when I was in my 20s, um, again, I was always passionate about being an entrepreneur, you know, my men's head was it was an entrepreneur, he had, he had a coffee store gourmet store in, in, in Romania, which is where I was born. And, you know, so it's sort of like in my blood, and I always aspired to be in business at that level at a very deep sort of, you know, involved level, like a business owner would be. But I said, Oh, maybe I should just get married first, because I know once I start my business, it's gonna take over my whole life, I'm not gonna have time to date and all that stuff. Um, and, you know, or you may not have the right, you don't. Know, you may not have the money, you may not have enough knowledge, you may not have the idea, you may not know enough people. Uh, and those things will always be there. But I would say, throw yourself into it, go for it. If you really feel passionate about something, go for it and, and know that it's going to be really hard. <laughs> it's going to be really hard. Don't underestimate how hard it is or how long it might take. Um, but if, if it's calling you, if you have got this burning desire, don't let fear suppress that. Don't let circumstances get in the way of that. I would say, you know, go for it. And you're always going to win in the end. You know, and I, and I remember reading a blog post about this. It was from a startup community member. And he said, no matter what, you're going to win if you start a business. Because if, you, if your business fails you will have gained knowledge, you have gained contact, and you'll completely differentiate yourself from from most people out there who have never started a business. And if your business does well, then, then that's, you know, that's plain and simple. That's, that's, that's another win. So you're always going to win by, by taking that kind of risk or making that kind of leap of faith. You're going to become better as a person as a result.
1: Thank you very much, Shikran. Thank you for stopping you know. by and wish you best of luck and the future success of
0: your company. Thanks a lot, Derenatek, and uh, look forward to hearing more about your sweat sessions with motion Thank Tracks. Thank you.
1: <laughs> Let's do the Bible reading and reflection now. This is something that we do every time here on the podcast. Today's reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, verse 35 through chapter 10, verse 1.
2: Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus called his twelve disciples to him, and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits
1: and to heal every disease and sickness. The Gospel of the Lord. In this passage we read about the style of Jesus, we see that he was not a person who was centered in one place, but he was traveling along with his disciples to different towns and villages and teaching everyone in the synagogues. So we know that Jesus was teaching elsewhere like the top of the mountain and we know that he was also going to the synagogues. so Jesus would use all settings to teach to the people but what strikes out for me the most important word that we read here to me is the word compassion when Jesus sees all the people and the writer of the gospel describes to us that the people around him were helpless and harassed jesus had compassion on them so the way that jesus would deal or would help the helpless was basically giving them the good news that no matter how helpless you are god is with you and god will help you explain the symbolism
2: between the harvest being plentiful and the workers few.
1: I was going to get into that in a minute, but let's jump into it since you asked. I think what Jesus means by the harvest is the people who are ready to receive the word of God. Sometimes, when we look at any society, people are ready to receive the message of God sometimes they are waiting for that one person who would bring that message to them in a way that it will touch their hearts and Jesus was inspiring his disciples to be like him to reach out to the helpless to the harassed and touch their lives with the Word of God one person can make miracles if that one person is a faithful servant of God if he or she is a person of devotion believing in God praying to God then God will work miracles and change the hearts of the ones who hear him or her and it's true when we look at our reality the Armenian Church we have about 5,000 clergy Mm -hmm. in all three denominations Armenian Orthodox, Armenian Catholic, Armenian Evangelical, serving the millions of Armenians worldwide. So the number of clergy is not not that many. We know that if we had more clergy, the harvest, which is the result, will be greater in our reality. But we should not be hopeless because we know that even with that limited number, if we trust God, God will work miracles through us.
2: Well, and I think that's the message of the verse, right? That even though, despite the fact there are so few workers, like in the case of Jesus' time, having 12 apostles to send out into the field and to cultivate the harvest, there was still an opportunity there to provide that guidance and give that spiritual nourishment to the community that was starving or thirsting for it.
1: Absolutely. 12 Disciples, And then this past Sunday, we spoke about the 72 disciples. They were able to change the entire world. They made disciples, and those disciples brought the message of, of Jesus to uh, every one of us. Today's hymn is called Vor This is a hymn dedicated to the holy translators. I hope you will enjoy listening to Vor We hope that we will be back in two weeks. In the meantime, I would like to thank Mr. Ve and Mr. Greg for all the hard work. I'd like to thank our sponsors and all our listeners. I pray that the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ will always be in your hearts. Amen.
0: Today's podcast was brought to you by Dr. Carlo Bayraktarian. If you'd like to sponsor future episodes, please contact the St. Saki's Church office at 718-224-2275.